Well, before we jump in to this topic of evangelism and persecution, I just want to briefly review. So we're doing this class on evangelism. What is evangelism again? Sharing the good news. Okay, so making the good news, the gospel known. What is the gospel? And it doesn't have to be the like, you know, 20 minute presentation, but in general, what is the gospel? Ben, did you raise your hand? I did. Jesus Christ died for sinners. Jesus Christ died for sinners. So we need to know something about who we are. We're fallen creatures. Because we're fallen, we deserve God's wrath. But the good news is that God has done something for sinners who deserve wrath. He sent his son who died for sinners. But he didn't just stay dead. What else happened? He rose again. Thank you. I was worried there for a second. (laughs) So he died. He rose. and, And how does a sinner receive this good news and be forgiven of their sins? By going to church and doing good works, correct? No. Thank you. How? How does one receive this good news? Dennis? Jesus said repent and believe. So turn from your sins, repentance, trust Christ and Him alone. So we want to share that message and seek for people to respond to that message in repentance and faith. We live in America, so why in the world would we have a class on evangelism and persecution? Because, well, are we even persecuted in America? Why have a class on this here in Alexandria, Virginia? Are Christians in any way, shape, or form persecuted here? Absolutely. Absolutely. How? I agree with you, but how? Are we necessarily persecuted the same way people in, say, North Korea are? No. But does that mean that there isn't any persecution for Christians here? It doesn't mean that. It just looks different. right? So what are some ways Christians might be persecuted here? What are some ways you may experience persecution when you try to share the good news of Christ with your friends, co-workers, family members, neighbors? You might get made fun of, right? Absolutely. Dennis? Uh, downright um, receive somebody's anger. Um, People might get angry at you. Of their hostility towards you. Yeah, absolutely. Paula, did you have your hand up? Uh, yeah, that we need to be tolerant of all religions. You can't be exclusive. Jesus might be good for you, but you can't say he's the only way, right? Okay. Karen? Yeah. yeah, you're just not strong enough to do yeah, this on your own. Kind of a pat on the back yeah, that's cute for you, right? Yeah. Yeah. How about at work? I mean, I think more and more this could be happening. What might happen at work if you say, "I'm a Christian. I believe these things to be true," or even if you were to talk to someone about the gospel in your workplace? What might happen there now? You want to get a promotion? What might happen? I mean, evangelism can you know lead all the way up to job job loss. Good. Yeah. So does the response of the world around us, whether positive or negative, 
determine whether or not we should obey Christ and share the gospel? No. Our job is to preach Christ, Him crucified and resurrected, regardless of the response of people around us, regardless of whether people like it or don't like it. So the reality is that persecution exists, even here in Alexandria, though it might look different than in North Korea or Saudi Arabia, there is persecution. So today we're just going to look at three things. We're going to look at what we need to believe, we're going to look at what we need to be, and thirdly, we're going to see that there are benefits to persecution and evangelism. So let's just start with what we need to believe. We need to expect that persecution is going to happen. Did Jesus promise that if you believe in me, I will make your life better, easier, happier, you'll be wealthy, everyone will like you, you'll never have a problem again? Did he teach that? Yeah. He taught that if you follow me, it's going to be hard. So somebody want to turn to John 15, verse 20? Thanks, Ben. And somebody want to take 2 Timothy 3, 12? Joey, you want to take that one? Ben Robin, that is. Not there's two Bens. I'll come to you later. Ben, you want to take John 15, 20 when you get there? Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Okay, so what does Jesus teach us here that's pertinent to this topic? How was he treated when he was here? He was persecuted. He He preached the truth. And what happened? They killed him. Okay. And what does he say? If you're going to follow me, expect what? The same. Right? If they persecuted me, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. Joey? Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be pretty clear, right? If we preach Christ, if we live for Christ, there will be opposition, right? Jesus talked about how the world loves darkness, right? They hate light. If we try to bring light, they're not going to automatically say, hey, this is great. There's a God in heaven who loves me and died for me. There's going to be pushback. John Wesley, in his diaries, talked about how when he would ride in town to town, he would preach the gospel. People would throw stuff at him. They'd throw rotten food at him. They'd throw rocks at him. And he went through a stretch where he started going to towns and people weren't throwing things at him. And he began to wonder, am I preaching the gospel rightly? Like he so expected people to push back that when it didn't happen, he thought, maybe I've dumbed down the gospel. Maybe I've sanded off some of the rough edges. He expected persecution. I've heard this so many times. If we would just be more like Jesus, people would like us. Is that true? If we were more like Christ, maybe people would like us a little bit less. We'll talk about, there's there's a balance there, which we'll we'll get into a little bit. But number one, we need to expect that persecution is going to happen. As we said, it might look different, might take different forms, but persecution will happen. Secondly, we need to believe that God is sovereign in the midst of persecution. Nothing happens apart from God's sovereign hand. So if we experience persecution, that's not just random. That's not outside of God's control. So the first two passages we're going to look at are going to show us that God is sovereign in Jesus' death, his, in a sense, persecution. 
Nathan, you want to flip to Isaiah 53.10? And I'll take Acts chapter 4, verse 27 and 28. When you get there, you can just read it. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offering. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So why was Jesus crucified? Yes, because he died for sinners in our place. But big picture, why did that happen? Because who willed it? Because God willed it. God sovereignly ordained the death of his son. So this wasn't random. This didn't just happen because Jesus came to see how it would go. And people just so happened to kill him. This was part of the plan. See it again in Acts chapter 4, verse 27 and 28. This is picking up in the middle of a prayer, but it says, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. What is, what is happening here? What, they're talking to God, and what are they saying? Everything that just happened was what? It's part of the plan, right? It's part of God's sovereign plan. But that's just Jesus, right? His suffering, his persecution for the preaching of the gospel was obviously planned by God, but ours might not be, right? I mean, that's a big picture plan to save humanity. What does our little, you know, peon existence have to do with God's sovereignty? Our, our suffering, our persecution for preaching the gospel can't possibly be part of the plan, right? Somebody want to take Philippians 1, 29? For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. So it's been granted to us. What does that mean? Somebody want to take a stab at that? Not only that we believe, but that we what? Give her permission. So it had to go, there's permission given. By whom? By God. So God has granted in his sovereignty that his people not only believe, but also that we suffer, that there would be persecution. Two other passages. 1 Peter 3.17 and 4.19. Somebody want to take both of those? Joseph? For it is better, if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. Okay. Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. So we see that it's whose will? God's will. It's according to His will. So before we move on, how might God's sovereignty in the midst of persecution help us? Why do we need to believe that God is sovereign? Why do we need to see our persecution through the lens of God's sovereignty? We'd give up, right? We'd be hopeless, right? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a huge one. What else? God is sovereign. We're, we're suffering. Let's say in, in your workplace, you need to sign that you're going to agree to these things. And you say, I just can't do that because I'm a Christian. And then you lose your job. 
How does seeing a big God who's sovereign over all things help us in the midst of something like that? It's temporary. It's temporary. Yeah. You'll read in the scriptures that, you know, this light momentary affliction is, is what? It's nothing compared to the weight of glory we have to come. So in God's sovereignty, we know that these persecutions won't last forever. There will come a day where, where there will be an end to them and it will be worth it. Okay. To me, it's comforting. It doesn't make it easy, right? It doesn't make me wake up with a smile on my face if persecution is coming. But it's comforting to know that there's a God who is in control and that God is wise and that God is good. I can trust him. What has changed about God in the midst of our persecution? Nothing. Our circumstances have changed, right? We might go from a state of ease to a state of you know, difficulty, but nothing has changed about God. He's still good. He's still praiseworthy. He's still wise. He's still loving. We need to remember that. God's sovereignty has to be this huge umbrella that we see all of our sufferings under. Any questions on what we need to believe before we move on? Comments? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. That's really important. Anything else? Question? Yeah. I think you're right. I think especially here, it's going to be a softer form of persecution, but it's, like you said, it's usually going to be people that we're super close to, care a lot about, and it's just going to have a lot more emotional. Just, it's going to be hard. So we need to see God's sovereignty. That's going to help us a lot. All right. So what do we need to be in the midst of persecution? If our job is to preach the gospel... And we know that there's going to be opposition. We should expect that. What do we need to be as people? First, we need to be bold. Before we look at any of these texts, what is boldness? Courage. Courage. Okay. What else? Clarity. Clarity. Okay. So speaking clearly. Confidence. Confident. Did you say competent or confident? Confidence. Yeah. Taking a risk. Taking a risk. Okay. So when I was first converted, I grew up in a very fundamentalist church where the preacher like was screaming and yelling from the minute he opened the text, pounding the pulpit. He would go from like red to purple to like and I thought boldness was volume level. He's really bold. He's yelling at us. Is boldness necessarily like, you know, you go out on the street and you just scream at people? 
Is that bold? Is bold being as much of a jerk as you possibly can? No. Boldness is this. It's just telling the truth and not watering it down, no matter what. It's just speaking the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Regardless of how that will land on people, regardless of what people respond like, it's just telling the truth. When there's going to be opposition... We can see this throughout Scripture. God's people are bold. I'm in Acts 4, so I'm going to read Acts 4, 29-31. Same passage we just were in. Again, this is a prayer. So beginning in verse 29. This is in the context where the disciples have been arrested, and what have they been told by the Jewish leaders? We really like what you guys are talking about. Keep it up, guys. Right? What are, what, are they, what are they being told? If you preach Christ, what's going to happen? How's it going to go? What should you expect from the Jewish leaders? We're going to arrest you. We're going to beat you. right? Don't preach Christ. So they gather together. Verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats. And grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. They're saying, Lord, they're threatening us. Help us to just continue to preach the truth. Help us to continue to speak what we know to be true about Christ. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, notice the result. The place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the word of God with what? With boldness. So we're seeing persecution, a prayer requesting what? Boldness, and God answers with what? Enabling them, helping them. You want to take Acts 14, verse 3. So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So this is the beginning of a stretch for Paul that is going to be nonstop persecution. Later on in this chapter, he's going to get stoned, and he's going to, they're going to think he's dead, and he's going to get up, and rather than running away, he's going to go back into the city. He's been given boldness. And how, where is this boldness coming from? His own strength? They spoke boldly what? For the Lord. Could be translated in the Lord. Boldness comes from being close to, depending on the strength of the Lord. In one other place, Ephesians chapter 6. You're going to see a theme. The first text we read was a prayer. And then the last text we're going to read is a prayer request. Ephesians chapter 6, 19 and 20. Paul, after this, you know, this armor of God text is asking them for something. Pray for this. Ephesians six nineteen and 20. Shannon, you want to take that text? So Paul is saying, 
I'm going to go out and preach. We know that there are going to be those that oppose the gospel. We know that the devil has schemes and fiery darts. And his request is this. Please just pray that the Lord would make me bold so that when I go out and preach, no matter what the opposition is, I say what's true. What are some areas that we need boldness today? We've already had mentioned that our culture doesn't like the exclusivity of the gospel. So if we come preaching that Jesus is the only way to heaven, there will be people that don't like that. What are some other things our culture is going to push back on that Christians, us, we in this room are going to need boldness in? Human sexuality in general. We want to talk about that. We are going to need boldness. Okay. Creation. Creation. The fact that there's a God who made all that we see and don't see. Yeah. It is. So I would put all the things on the list and disciplining children, raising children, according to God, those can be right Sure. Out. Absolutely. Yeah. And with that, just like general submission, you know, everything that's preached now and taught now is, you know, what's good for you, all about, you know, promoting myself and, and how I want to live, where, you know, that's the opposite of Christianity, of giving ourselves to Christ and to others. Yeah. Any, any preaching of repentance over any kind of sin is going to be offensive. Chadwick? I was going to say that forgiveness isn't merited. Ah, so you can't do something to earn this. Like this is, that just knocks human pride right down. And people are not going to like that. That's a good one. Yeah. So we need boldness. Really, Allison was right. Just about anything that we talk about out of Scripture potentially could be a hot, hot point for somebody. We're, we're going to need boldness from the Lord, not to yell at people, not to be loud, but boldness to just say what the Bible says. And that boldness isn't going to come from us just trying to will ourselves to be strong, will ourselves to have courage. That's going to be coming from a position of weakness. Lord, I I don't want to be disliked. I don't want people to to give me the cold shoulder anymore. I don't want people to look at me like I'm crazy. So Lord, help me. Give me strength. Help me to say what you say in your word, regardless of how people respond. Help me. Dennis, you have your hand up? Yeah, I was going to say, I think it also includes sort of that um, uh, uh, meekness in that, you know, none of us know everything there is to know, first of all. And there are some really good oppositional questions mm. that you may not have the answer. And I'm pretty sure we've talked about it in here that it's okay you know, to be bold and say, it's a great question. I, I don't know that. Yeah. Or I don't know that thoroughly, but let's, you know, let's talk about that more. And, you know, because I think sort of there's this, sometimes there's a, that feeling I've got to be able to answer every single question thrown at me and I've got to yeah. be, uh, and, and I think it's okay to say, you know, that's a great question. Yeah. yeah. Um, because it doesn't dilute the real truth, and that's the whole thing. You know what the truth is. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Any other thoughts on boldness? Yeah. Kira? I just want to go off what Alex was saying. I think with parenting, that is really a thing. Like, I've been on various different walks. 
do not want to tell them. Yeah. <laughs> um, and with both, I, I like have like, well, I have biblical model of parenting, but I think that's really a thing. It's, um, it's really easy in the context of Christians to say we have to say these things. Or like another time talking about just the judgment of God. But I think it's the boldness is when you're in the moment and what you would say to a Christian, you don't want to say to a non-Christian. Mm-hmm. Just with, with the weakness of like, I'm a mess. Good point. Karen? I have a question. Like that's a great that's a great point. And there are a lot of things in Christianity where where if you put the cart before the horse, people are not gonna understand the basis of, of the why. Mm-hmm. And is does boldness ignore that or does boldness tell the truth in the right order so that people can you understand? Like it, if you don't know that that God is trustworthy, and He puts a hard, a hard thing like that in the Bible that's so countercultural, but it's what He says to do. Like, I struggle with yeah. that part. I think it's important to lay foundation. If you have, I mean, not every evangelism opportunity is going to give you opportunity to have a lot of time to talk. But if you have a context where it's somebody you have a relationship with and that you have time to have a conversation, it's okay to say, hey, that's a good question. I'm going to answer that, but I need to lay some foundation before we get there. I think that's okay to be like, hey, let me get you here, but we need to first lay, God is wise, God is good, you know, and, and, but we need to answer the question that they ask too. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's good to lay the foundation. Allison? I will come to piggyback off of that. My my family's first week in D.C. was the first week of the evangelism class. So my first day on the job was like right after our first Sunday. So I was like, hey, that was really helpful. So my first conversation with everyone, I tried to work in. Yeah, I'm a Christian. We moved down here to do this pastoral internship next year. And that just set this foundation of like it's out there. And now I can have these conversations. So getting that out there like that, it takes boldness because I was like, oh, these people are going to think I'm weird. But, <laughs> but it gets it out there. And that's important. If I can immediately, in a loving way, 
present God and where I am right up front, yeah. that's boldness for me. Yep. And that's where God is usually answering. Yeah, good thought. Joey, and then Ben, and then we're going to move to the next point. So, I was going to say, like, for Karen's statement, you know, we see that in Jesus' response to people all the time in the Gospels. <clears throat> when they'd ask him a question, he wouldn't always specifically answer that question. He'd take it back to, uh, like, a foundational concept. Like, you know, mm-hmm. different than what the example Kira gave, but when, you know, week 19, when he's asked about divorce or marriage, he doesn't immediately answer that. First, he goes back to Genesis and goes, all right, this is what marriage is. And, and lays down that foundational concept of how God sees things. So I think that's really good, what you're saying, really wise to take it back to what Bill's saying. So this is what, this is the concept of what God says and, and why I believe this, and then go more in specific to answer that question. Yeah. Good. Ben? I'm so encouraged by what Allison here and Karen have been saying. I totally agree. I'm thinking about the person in the room who maybe has a long-standing relationship and they haven't been doing this, mm. and maybe is just feeling discouraged, like, where do I go now? Mm. And I can just so relate to what Kira was saying about changing the way I think or talk around non-Christians versus Christians. And so maybe one really simple thing we can all do, starting tomorrow, is just stop changing the way you talk. Like, if I would tell my wife, praise God, when she says something exciting, why wouldn't I tell my father that? Just because he doesn't know the Lord? Well, God still exists, you know. Yeah. I mean, I still think God did whatever that good thing is. Yeah. So that's just a small thing that I think we all start doing tomorrow. Yeah. Or today. Yeah. yeah. One thing, when I was, I was converted late high school years, and when I first became a Christian, I was terrified to tell my friend group that I was a Christian now. So I hit it. And... I think my senior year of high school, the Lord just convicted me, like, you shouldn't be ashamed of me. And I went and I apologized. And I was like, hey, guys, I know you're going to think I'm weird, but I'm a Christian and I've been afraid to tell you guys. And I just want you to know, I'm a Christian and this is what I believe. Not everybody has to do that, but I, like, I felt like the Lord wanted me to just, I needed to repent because I was ashamed of the gospel. And so that's one thing. If you've been a, in a relationship for a long time, it might be okay to say, hey, I haven't told you this, but I'm a Christian. Like, what do you think about that? Might start a conversation. So, all right, letter B, be wise. Sometimes we hear this talk about persecution and expecting persecution, and we think, I got to go seek that out. Like, maybe I should go out and offend somebody to start some persecution. Well, that would not be wise. That would not be biblical. You see in the book of Acts, Paul isn't seeking it out. And sometimes when it comes, he moves to a different city, and that's okay. So, Acts 14, verse 6, we've been in that text. It says that after he had spoken boldly, it talks about how there was this word that both the Jews and the the Gentiles were going to come and and persecute him. So, what does he do in verse 6? He fled. Now, he's not a coward, because... I mean, when you get to verse 19 in Lystra, he gets stoned and he gets up and goes right back in. We can't call Paul a coward, but he's not a fool also. He's not running around saying, hey, let me find somebody to stone me or flog me or, you know, imprison me. When he hears persecution coming, sometimes he leaves. So we need to be wise. We need to not seek out persecution. 
And there's two things I want to say into this. Number one, we need to make sure that it is the gospel that's offending people and not us. Because there's a lot of people, especially on the internet, that have YouTube channels or on Twitter that in the name of being bold are just offensive. And what people are pushing back on is more so the attitude than the content of what they're saying. So we need to make sure that it's the truth that offends. It's plenty offensive enough on its own. Like, we should be gentle and patient and loving. We should try to be as nuanced as possible. But at the end of the day, it's, we just say what the Bible says. So we shouldn't seek out persecution. We should try to be as winsome as possible. But there's going to be a line where you, you can't compromise. You just have to say what the Bible says. So we need to make sure it's Scripture that's offending people and not us. Be wise. There was a second thing that I didn't have written down, and it escaped me already. Sorry. We need to be wise. Does that mean that you sh- That means, okay, so you're, you're working at a job... And in order to preach the gospel, you stand up on your desk and you say, Hear ye, hear ye, I'm a Christian and you are all going to hell if you don't believe in Jesus. Is that wise? I mean, that might be bold, but is that wise? Maybe. Maybe. But also, it would be okay to talk to people at lunch. It might be okay to say, Hey, I'm having a get-together at my house. Would you guys like to come over and talking to people about Christ there? Like, it's okay to be wise and do your job when you're at work. Like, it's okay. You don't have to go around and just put people on blast all the time. There's, there's wisdom involved in evangelism. And there's wisdom in relation to persecution. You see that in Scripture. Paul is someone, he'll use Rome, his Roman privileges to avoid persecution. Like, there, there's things that we can do to be wise. <clears throat> Any questions on that one? Oh, yes, a lot. That's okay. Okay. I just want to say one quick thing is just that I want to caution us, though, not to classify certain kinds of evangelism as unwise. Because literally, you could be called to stand on your desk and say, here you hear all these in hell. Like, if there's an earthquake in the building spawn going up, that would be a good time to do There's an urgency when there's, yes. In an army, we all have different jobs, and we are working for the Lord. Sure. And so it's good to remember that yeah. we're not getting, we're not in that conversation with God, and yeah. that person might be supposed to be doing that. So I think yeah. I think that's where the wisdom of, of doing evangelism as a community is helpful, because if some, you have brothers and sisters who are going to tell you the truth, and they can be like, hey, that didn't come across. Can you, could you tell me why you said things that way? And you can talk about it, and maybe get some good feedback where you might not be being wise, or maybe you are being offensive, or also give pushback the other way where people can helpfully see, well, they're just being bold. So I think that's where having a community around us where we're just not Lone Ranger, you know, Christian out there on our own is going to be helpful. Because snatching someone from the fire can hurt their elbow. Yes. It might look really rude, but... Yeah. Yep. So we had one, two, and then Dennis, three, so... Yeah. And essentially, like, it goes on to say that 
Jesus' time had not yet come yet. Yeah. And all in John 7, we see that Jesus is on the Father's timetable. So I feel like this point very much ties into the previous point that God is sovereign. And like it, this might not be your time yet to suffer persecution. Yeah. And that God is sovereign over that. And yeah. even Jesus like knew at this point that yeah, the Jews were seeking to kill him, and it wasn't his time yet. Yeah. And we certainly can't say Jesus is not bold, right? Like he's the boldest person who ever walked the face of the earth. And there were times where he was like, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> like, yeah, good point. Paul? Um, so you might have already answered with just being around community would probably help this, but how do we discern what is wise and not wise? So I think specifically an example, which I can't remember the guy's name or the location, but he was going to a remote place to spread the gospel. And he didn't even make it. He uh, was killed getting there. Hmm. And a lot of people call that foolish. Um, So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's... I forget the guy's name, too. Garrett... Yes, Garrett wrote an article about that one that you could look up that would be really good. Um, I think it's not foolish to go to unreached people groups. You look at Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, they never got to open their mouth once. They got killed. But the Lord opened the door through their death for, for their wives to go there. Like, so I don't think that's foolish. I think there's a difference between saying there's an unreached people group, but there's a, there's a high likelihood we could die and we're going to go anyways. That, yeah, I think that there's a need to discern through prayer through your open Bible, so God wants us to go to unreached people groups, but also through community that we can talk through. Like those kind of things, I think going to a, a frontier where there's no gospel witness is, is going to need a different kind of wisdom than am I, am I sharing with my coworkers in a way that is offending because I'm offensive or is it because... Because scripture is offending them. I think there's a different kind of wisdom and discernment we need for those different kind of. Does that help? Yeah. Who was next? Dennis? I think Ben was next. I didn't raise my hand this time. Oh, you did? No, you did not. Um, you are. Can you speak into, and, and, and maybe it's not applicable, but you know, Jesus told the disciples to go into the towns, and uh, if they were received, wonderful. If not, shake the dust from your feet and move on. Um, how would you apply that, or would you apply that uh, in terms of sort of the being wise in evangelism, and, and how, how would you relate that? That's a good question. I, I don't think we want, I can tell you how, how I don't think we should apply that. I'm not sure that I can give you a good answer. If somebody wants to jump in with the positive, I don't think we should take that verse as an excuse to be like, hey, I shared the gospel with you. You didn't receive it, so I'm just not going to talk to you again and move on. Like, I think there needs to be perseverance in evangelism. You know, my, my mom is here. My mom didn't believe the gospel for 68 years. She heard the gospel from my dad, from me. Like, we didn't give up. She became a Christian two years ago. Like, so I don't think we can use that as like, oh, I share, I did my duty, let me dust the, you know, my feet off and move on. I don't know how I would say we apply that positively. Anyone want to take a stab? Chad? Uh, I cannot remember exactly which, which one this applies to. Jesus twice said about the apostles. Once without stuff, once with stuff. I don't remember if this is following which one. 
but there's a time and a place, I think, where we are going to find the most fertile soil. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. And that is the root, the recognizing the fertile soil sometimes might be the place with the most apparent persecution. Yeah. Uh, and not that's not the difference between trusting off peace. That's the what not receiving the peace that comes out from you. So that's the Holy Spirit's indicator. Yeah, so looking for where the where the soil is most fertile. That's good. Yeah. Cam? Yeah, I was just going to say, as a lot of things, especially what you said, Miss Allison, in light of like, um, I guess, thinking through like how complicated it is to discern at times to flee or to be bold in the sense of, because I, 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 I just think particularly like Paul and Acts is a point, somebody can look at it right, I, I couldn't, it's in the 20s, I think, where the, one, he says a spirit testifies to him that he's going to suffer in Jerusalem. And then also as a prophet that says to him, prophet Agabus tells him also that they're going to get bound and taken to jail in Jerusalem. <coughs> and Paul said, I don't care. I'm still going. I'm ready to die in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like, along with Paul fleeing, like, in Acts 16, we also have this scene of Paul re-deciding, really I don't care what's going to happen in Jerusalem. I'm going. I think that's just like, trying to like harmonize those together it's like it takes like a lot of discernment it's like because going to Jerusalem could have been and in the other scenario foolish for somebody but for Paul it wasn't foolish yeah. even though Paul would say things like the spirit testifies that in every place I'm, I'm going to get I'm going to get into some trouble the spirit's always telling him you're going to get in trouble here yeah. but the spirit's not necessarily saying you need to get out sometimes the spirit would say like yeah get out but other times, like, you're going to suffer here. And I just feel like yeah. that's the pain. Like, to just to bring Kendall, like, how complicated it is. And yeah. Um, not to, like, I think there definitely is wisdom yeah. in fleeing at times, though, also. Yeah. Yeah. Praying and, and seeking, you know, godly counsel is going to really help us to be more wise. All right, let's look at the benefits. So we, we know persecutors persecution is to be expected we know god's sovereign in our persecution in the midst of persecution we need wisdom and boldness but are there benefits to persecution does god use it for our good and the good of the nations i think he does first we're going to see that persecution shows us our weakness we see it and we feel it and that's a good thing so 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. I'll read those. <clears throat> For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the afflictions we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Why did God bring... What does Paul say here was a benefit of persecution? The last line of verse 9. What does it say? They felt their what? Felt their weakness, so they had to rely where? On God. Can you do evangelism in your own strength, whether you're persecuted or not? You can. Should... Should you do evangelism in your own strength? No. Because what what needs to happen in evangelism? A divine miracle needs to happen. The dead need to be raised. You can't do that. 
And God uses persecution to show us, hey, I can't do this. I can't do this on my own, but I need to do this because God's commanded me, so I guess I better turn to him for strength. And sometimes we need to be persecuted to be reminded of that. Like, oh wow, this is supernatural work here. This is not fleshly work. And persecution is used to remind the church of that. For the sake of time, let's kind of press on. Secondly, it can embolden others. It can embolden others. Joey, you want to turn to Philippians 1.14? Paul's in prison, and what happens as a result of him being in prison for preaching the gospel? And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So when they see someone like Paul persecuted and remaining faithful in the midst of that persecution, what happens? Other people are emboldened to preach the gospel as well. So God can use the persecution of his people to raise up other people to be bold in evangelism. We use Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, and those five men. That sparked the modern missions movement. Their boldness emboldened thousands of other people to take the gospel to unreached places. God can use persecution to embolden his church. Third, God can use persecution to spread the gospel. I'll turn to Acts 8. I want you to notice, this is one of my favorite texts for evangelism. Actually, yeah, we'll read 1 through 8. And Saul approved of his, perse- of his execution. So Philip preaches the gospel. He's just stoned. <clears throat> and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So who's the leadership of the church at this time? The what? Apostles. And they remain in Jerusalem. Just note, note that. Verse 2, devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. In verse 4, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. So the leadership of the church remains in Jerusalem. And everybody else is scattered. And what do they do? They preach the gospel. Well, you mean the elders of the church are, the on, are not supposed to be the only people that share the gospel? Well, here we see a great example. The church leadership remains, but what doesn't remain in Jerusalem? The gospel. It goes everywhere. And why did it go everywhere? Because of what? Starts with a P. Persecution. Persecution, Persecution was used to push the gospel out of Jerusalem. Does anyone like to be persecuted? No. But does God use persecution for his own glory and the good of the nations? Yes, he does. There are benefits. There's benefits to us. We we feel and sense our own weakness. There's benefits to the church. It emboldens others. And there's benefits to the nations. The gospel spreads. All right, we got about five minutes. Any comments, questions, disagreements? Ben? Disagreement, I know. No, no. Uh, I think the one thing I thought of is we need to...
to see the benefits. I think um, persecution shows us that the gospel is worthy mm. of enduring for. Mm. So there are things in this life that are worth dying for. Uh, first and foremost, I think Jesus is mm. when you that kind of value to something it shows everyone around who's watching that how worthy that thing is. Amen. Mm. Joseph? I was going to say, one of the things I thought about when we were talking about weakness is that it does show our general weakness, but also, like, I think we think about persecution, like, God uses it for his good purposes, but um, persecution, God doesn't necessarily cause it because it's not something good. So it's one thing we know about the devil is that he knows how to target the things that we are the worst at. Like, he tempts us with the things that will tempt us the most. So I think in the sense of persecution, the things that we're receiving persecution on show us, okay, these are the things that I'm the weakest on. These are the things that are going to tempt me the most to stop preaching the gospel. And it helps to teach us what ways we need to be more faithful and what ways we need to trust God more. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, so God is not actively doing evil to us when we're persecuted, but he certainly is sovereign over the persecution for sure. Yeah. Did I see in, in control? Good. That's a really good question. It means that God is in control of everything. Yeah. I saw a couple of hands. Kim. Yeah, so I have a comment and a practical question. I think one of the things, like it, as I was thinking about, like benefits, is being reminded that like that persecution is a part of Jesus' blessed life and the beatitude. Mm. Blessed are those who persecute righteous thinking goes on to say to rejoice because there's rewards for those who are persecuted because we're just like the prophets of the Old Testament. And that's been comforting me to be reminded of that it's not new and that Jesus sees it and that he'll reward those who endure it. And in light of that, this kind of that comforting peace coming from Jesus where you go, how would you, how would would us encourage one another? Because I think when we talk about topics like persecution, it's not some people are like ripping and ready to go with it, but there's a lot of brothers and sisters that just aren't. Yeah. So when we find ourselves in those situations, how do you how do you think through comforting somebody as we either prepare or are in the midst of it? That's a good question. In the midst of it, I think we want to definitely encourage and comfort one another with God's sovereignty. Like these things aren't happening outside of God's control. He's not left the throne. Like, he is good and wise in the midst of this, and you can trust him. I think we want to encourage each other in the midst of it that, as Ben said, the gospel is worthy of our, of our suffering. Like, Christ is so worthy of that. Preparation-wise, for those who are on the more timid side, I'm that. I think it's, it's important. I mean, I don't want to be cliche, but really... Just immersing ourselves in Scripture is going to be the most important thing. Like, Scripture is going to be what changes us. Scripture is going to be what, what corrects our, our idols, the idols of our heart where we're, we're loving comfort so much or whatever. Like, Scripture is going to be what God uses to change us, whether that's through brothers and sisters that we're studying with or whether it's just studying on our own. We need to be in the Word. I just don't think there's any silver bullet to get around that. Like, we need, we need Scripture, and we need more Scripture. Like, yeah. Yeah. 
All right, got time for maybe one more. Allison. Okay. But it's your fault. <laughs> but the last thing is the, the the thing that keeps coming to mind while we're talking about this is one example that really changed me and maybe it'll help you guys. Uh, years ago, Flip Denham and Operation Rescue, one of my heroes, was in Dallas having a convention and they took the gospel and they chopped it up and how many pieces not chopped it, but they divided it and went and stood in Dallas in front of the courthouse or in front of like the the police station anywhere and they read the Bible out loud. Well I think a lot of people would be like, look I'm a relational, I do this right. Well, while they were reading the Bible out loud in the face of people who probably didn't want them to be there at all, who thought it was obnoxious, six people walked up to different readers and asked how to accept the Lord. They were reading stuff like, it's, I mean, like numbers, you know, like anything, and yet God used that. And so to me, that was a huge example that it, God can tell us to evangelize a lot of different ways. And like the apostles were obviously relational and great at it, but they were also pretty aggressive, standing in the midst of a hostile congregation of Jews, you know, speaking out loud. So um, I just wanted to remind us that that's a very valid way to share the gospel, and you have done a really good job teaching us to expect persecution. Get over that right away and do it. Yeah. yeah, I think methodology is less important as message. So there will be people who are going to do more of the cold calling evangelism and we should rejoice that the gospel is being proclaimed there are going to be people who are more inclined to relationships and as long as they are actually sharing the gospel we should just rejoice that the gospel is being proclaimed so yeah Karen last last comment question and then I have one thought and then I will pray That's a good thought. I have one, just one very quick thought, and then I will pray. Is I think outside of reading scripture, reading good biographies is one of the best ways to grow in boldness. If you read like biographies of missionaries like John Patton or some of Martin Luther's biographies, like the kind of boldness that God has enabled in men and women throughout the history of the church is a great means for us to grow in our own boldness and to see how God was faithful to them and used them in the midst of persecution can be a great means for us to grow in that as well. So let's pray. Father, we come to you and we thank you, Lord, that your gospel is the power that you have unto salvation. And Father, we know that just as Christ was hated, people will hate us. But Father, we pray that you'd give us boldness, that you would enable us to be faithful to you no matter what comes. 
Father, we pray that you would use us this week. Give us open doors and opportunities to share Christ. Give us wisdom to know how to do so gently and patiently and kindly. But Father, let us not compromise the truth in the midst of that. I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.